Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. The show that gives you inside access to how retail real estate's most successful leaders went from being an average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CASCM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. We so often hear the cliches when getting career advice like, follow your passion or do what feels right. And the classic, get in with a company that is growing and ride the wave to the top. Well, these cliches do exist for a reason. Mark Heath joined a 20-unit chain in 1999 that was going to expand from Denver to Columbus, Ohio, of all places. He believed in their mission, was willing to persevere through whatever came at him, and built a great reputation along the way. That 20-unit chain that was unknown to most people, you may have heard of today. It's the 3,000-unit behemoth that transformed the restaurant business altogether, Chipotle. Mark shares his personal journey of being an instrumental part of Chipotle's success, and I couldn't be more excited to share our conversation with you now. Couldn't be any more excited to have Mark Heath, the Senior Director of Development for the Central Southeast region with the iconic brand Chipotle in our business. Mark, how's it going? Appreciate you joining us. Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's jump right in. Where are you from? How did you grow up? What was your family situation like when you were a kid? (laughs) Youngest of three by 10 years. Father was the small town, county, large and small animal veterinarian. So I didn't grow up on a farm, but I spent time working on farms and had a little affinity for real estate back then. My father liked to speculate a bit, had a few rentals. I spent time working on those, spent time on the farm a little bit. And you go to college, you don't know what you want to do. You go to a liberal arts school, you hopefully just learn how to learn, which I think is probably the biggest thing I learned at my college, the thirst to learn and the curiosity. And you get out of college and you're like, you know, this real estate thing might be interesting. Let me give it a shot. So where did you grow up? I grew up in a small county seat town, about 9,000 people, 30 minutes west of Columbus called London, Ohio. London, Ohio. Okay. And you were, I'm not going to call you an accident, but I'm going to call you an accident. Pretty much. Did you have older brothers or sisters or one of each? An older brother, 10 years and an older sister, 12 years. So that's like, as my wife likes to say, I was the youngest, clearly, and kind of an only child. And neither of which are meant to be compliments on her part. But <laughs> I think it means I'm spoiled. So, yeah, maybe. <laughs> there you go. Well, I always like to dig in and ask because a lot of those themes from childhood come back into helping shape some of our guests. For example, we've had a lot of athletes that have become massively successful in our business. Chris Ressa, Chris Sands. Brian Finnegan, to name just a few. And Finnegan was an athlete? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he played basketball. Well, yeah, I did too. Little Division three school. So just have fun. Teammates, competition. You don't want it to end and good experience. Here you go. How were you as a student growing up? Early on, really good. High school, good enough. My father liked to say, don't let the books get in the way of the learning. So... I uh, probably spent more time on my sports than I did on my schoolwork. But interestingly enough, when I went to college, I got a little hungry to learn and probably had better grades in college than in high school. I was the same way, actually. It's interesting you say that. I was the exact same way. I was a, Calling me mediocre would be offensive to mediocre students in high school, but it worked out for me in the long run, I guess, only because there was nowhere to go but up. 
So you mentioned having a little bit of real estate flair in your upbringing, and that's because your father liked to do speculative stuff. What kind of real estate deals was he doing? He was too busy to really do the deals. I bought some farmland on the edge of town and it's still largely sitting there, but been able to uh, do some zoning, rezoning development of it uh, in my early years. I mean, back when I was probably 24 years old, just jumped in. I was in the real estate business, trying to make a living as a broker. So, you know, I did brokerage for 10 years. So when you came out of school, how did you get into the business? Which brokerage shop did you start with? Kind of give us some more color and background on that. Well, I mean, you know, anybody that would take me started with a really small company, a really great trainer, you know, just again, hungry to learn. And, you know, I was at the right place in that respect. And I was trying to find your niche, cold calling, uh, office space. I mean, the first deal I probably did was lease a 2,500 square foot office space. I was thrilled, but you'll take on anything back then. You know, the hunger to take on almost anything just to get something done, to make a little bit of money. But ultimately, and you know, the advice I would give is you've got to find a niche, you've got to find a focus. And hopefully that focus is with a quality company. You know, for me, that was McDonald's. I, I got to do site selection for McDonald's. I developed a relationship there, relationships. Uh, they treated me great. I would run through a wall for them. I read every book that existed about McDonald's. I was enthralled with it. And that comes through too, because I'm on the other side of this now. So when we look at our brokers that we've used over the years, the ones that are just passionate, hardworking, honest, and that you know, will do anything you ask them to do, they'll run through a brick wall for you. That's hopefully what I came across. And you know, that relationship builds into a future relationships. Sure. So help give us some context. So you get out of school, you knew that you wanted to get into real estate. I mean, you made a joke and you're very humble and witty for saying like, oh, I would have gone anywhere that took me. But for people trying to break into the business or maybe make a change from the existing world that they're in right now, how did you get in with the first brokerage company? And I assume that was in Columbus. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. You know, I don't know. I think I sent out some resumes and this guy was looking for... If I had to guess, you know, I never really asked him. He probably looked at an okay resume, but I would have been an athlete. And sometimes people really dig into that and say, you know, hey, this person probably likes to compete, which to this day, I still love that part of life and in our business and, you know, not jumping ahead to the end. But I will tell you that when we get fixated on a certain deal, it's like, we're not losing that deal. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get that deal. Okay. Sometimes you might wish you didn't get the deal, but for the most part, our brand is strong enough that it always has worked out, but you know, that's fun. And I assume that's maybe why he connected with me. He took a chance. And I'll tell you what, I struggled for a long time. And it was like, man, I am going to see this to some point where I can feel like I succeeded. And then maybe I'll just do something different, but I was maybe stubborn, but I persevered through it. And again, during that time, I was fortunate enough to make a good relationship at a couple companies. McDonald's is the key because that was the introduction that led me to Chipotle, where I've been for 23 years. You talked earlier about emphasizing the need to find a niche. After the first couple of years of struggling in brokerage in your early 20s, as you were evolving as a broker and you started representing McDonald's, did you find that being a retail tenant rep out parcel broker was your niche? Or how can you? Speak on that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think it evolved into that. And then, you know, you're like, 
McDonald's, wow, real estate, man, it's a real estate company, right? I mean, that's the holy grail. I mean, you know, love to work there. You guys want to hire me? No, I don't think so. We'll use you as a broker. So, you know, I just kept doing that. And I would say that my mind has evolved from being, you know, really analytical in the early days. And I think this is probably what a lot of young people are like is they're analytical because of the early schooling and the textbooks and all of that. After a while, I mean, at this point in my time, we have all kinds of analytics now, right? I mean, everybody does, Chipotle has them. I honestly am most the flip side of that. It's like, I can look at it. I can feel it. You can see it. You can ask questions and not get caught up in analytics. It's an art and a science. You've heard that before. It's very true. I mean, sometimes analytics, you go outside of them and say, it makes sense. Let's just do it. Sure. So going back to your story for a second. So you were working on the McDonald's stuff. You decided that you wanted retail tenant rep to be your niche. How long were you in the business when you picked up the McDonald's account? How many years in do you think you were? Oh, man, that's a good question. I don't rightly remember. Seven years, six years. Okay, so you'd been doing it a little while. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. And you go on a run doing a lot of McDonald's deals, probably doing some other restaurant, out parcel leasing deals, whatever it may be. Yep. And what happens next? So in 1998, Chipotle was not acquired, but McDonald's had made an investment into Chipotle. And next thing you know, there's somebody moving their, themselves to Columbus, Ohio to roll out Chipotle. And they had 14 locations in Denver. And they were going to expand into Columbus, Minneapolis, and Kansas City. So they needed a broker. That was my business. Someone at McDonald's, again, the relationship that connects you to the next relationship, right, was, hey, you know, go meet Mark Heath. And he did. And I've spent some time together. He said, all right, I want you to be my broke. I said, all right, fine. And I liked that. I liked having a client like that, that had the financial backing that wasn't franchised, okay, that I was pretty sure was going to do what they said they were going to do. They were going to roll this out. Little did I know to 3,000 units, of course. But at that time, I'm like a year and a half later, the, the guy's like, I'm going to need a real estate manager come January. And I was in doing this 10 years now. So I was starting to feel somewhat successful, right? So I'm like, I like the autonomy. I like having different clients. I like the assignments. I'm not your man. And eventually I was. So he made a pitch. I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what the corporate side is like. Now, bear with me. McDonald's, Chipotle was not very corporate back then, of course. I mean, we had 14 locations. So... I come to work there. I hire a broker in Columbus to replace me. I start overseeing brokers in other cities and it's just evolved. So I did that for 10 years as a real estate manager. So for the last 13 years, I've been a director either of the real estate team or we call it development because the development teams at Chipotle are three of them across the country. And in my team consists of 16 people real estate managers, design managers, construction managers, and 16 states and Ontario, Canada. Wow. So just so I have my facts straight, when you left brokerage to go work for Chipotle, Chipotle had 14 stores. It's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So the 22nd location, I was actually still, I got paid a brokerage fee. How about that? Was in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Wow. And we since relocated that store. So it's a long time. It goes fast. It really has. And you left 
1998, you said? Yeah, 1999 was my first year of employment. Wow. So you basically have seen the company go from 14 to 20-ish stores to 3,000 in your 23-year tenure there. Yeah, that's about right. That is right. A little over 3,000 now. So Wow. So clearly, when you got into the brokerage business and you complimented your employer at the time, and I'm certain that you have plenty of people to compliment on the Chipotle side and even externally, just people that you know in the business or even outside of commercial real estate. Talk to us about the importance of mentors in your life and who some of them were. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm still in touch with the guy that hired me, a guy named Jerry Schaefer, who finally did retire. He went back to McDonald's after a stint at Chipotle and ended up retiring as head of global development. So I always like to throw that out there that I know a guy that was head of global development and tease him about that. But, you know, great mentor. People can teach you, certainly teach you a lot. That's a little mentoring thing. And you're being young. You're like, hey, you know, he empowered me to make decisions. I would show him a deal and he'd be like, what are you showing me for? Just do it. Right. You know, now, I mean, they must have had some trust in me. And you got to let people make mistakes. Right. So Lots of quotes I can remember from him. I use them to this day. Don't choke on gnats and swallow elephants. I'm sure people think that's pretty corny, but it's basically, you know, don't get stuck in the small stuff, right? Just, I like to keep it simple. I think it's what we do is fairly simple. I mean, there's a lot of noise around it, but when it comes to deal making, I've really done a lot of it. I've got people that are probably better than me at it in the company now, but it's about keeping it simple, doing what you say you're going to do. Fortunately, I have the backing of a company that's able to allow allow us and me to do that. I mean, that's a big thing. It's like any team, nobody does it by themselves. You have to have a great core concept. And thanks, Steve Ells, for creating Chipotle. It's been a very unusual and unique brand. It's hard to replicate. I mean, a lot of people have tried it. And it's hard to explain why some make it and some don't. It's not that scientific. What were some of the lessons that you learned early on in brokerage, then later in brokerage, and then some of the critical lessons that you've learned during your tenure at Chipotle? Well, I mean, like I said, be focused, do what you say you're going to do. I have to think back. I mean, when I first started doing this, what I said was, I want to get the first phone call on a site and I want to be able to say no. Okay. First. And after somebody has done a deal with me and my company, because you know I'm only as good as my company, but that they left and said, Mark and Chipotle did everything they said they were going to do, right? And they had a good experience. So, you know, we're going to get the next phone call. I mean, granted, you know, we have a good brand and a, we will pay the rent and, and pay it on time. And that means a lot. My wife has corrected me. If I need humble, she, she certainly will tell me they like Chipotle, Mark, not you. Okay. So <laughs> I like to say they go together, but I'll take that. Somebody's got to humble me, right? Leave it up to your wife. There you go. You know, I asked this question and it, it typically bodes more for the folks that have had multiple career changes, whereas you've only really had one to peel back the onion. Yeah. But if you think critically through it, you've had promotions, you've had different inflection points in your brokerage life where you really weren't doing much. And then all of a sudden you were representing McDonald's. What would you say your big break 
opportunity was in your career? Was it picking up the McDonald's account? Was it getting in with Chipotle? Was it getting the promotion that you now have today? Like, what would you say is the one critical big break moment in your career that sort of catapulted you to get to where you are as quickly as you did? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the McDonald's relationship because it led to the Chipotle opportunity as the broker, and then it turned into uh, you know a position that's lasted as long as it has. So I'd have to say that you know I've seen other people come into the business and they're trying to do too many things. And that might be fine, depending on what your niche is, right? For me, being a tenant rep, how many tenants can you rep effectively, right? And what you have in brokerage is only your knowledge and your time. I mean, you don't get the bill for it. So you've got to be really with somebody that's going to do deals, right? Yeah. When we go to our brokers and say, hey, we want deals. I mean, what music to their ears, right? We want deals. Let's ramp it up. And I mean, even today, that's a challenge because we're trying to grow at a, you know, ever and ever greater clip. And the sights aren't falling from the skies. So got to be creative, opportunistic, right? And again, it's become easier in some sense because we have a reputation and we want to be the first to see the deal, right? Or one of the first to see the deal, right? But yeah, that's, somebody's got to take a chance on you sometimes, right? And you know, if you're hiring people or picking uh, consultants, sometimes you've got to be the one taking a chance on that person. And those are beautiful stories when those work out. You made a comment earlier about hoping that McDonald's would hire you because you felt like they were sort of the creme de la creme or the Big Mac, if you will, of, of national restaurant groups. Yeah. And obviously that didn't pan out. But there was clearly some sort of tactical, strategic reason that you posed that idea to them. Well, yeah. Truth be told, you picked up on something there. You're very insightful. I think you should do this for a living, Aaron. Yeah. The podcast is not cash flow positive yet, unfortunately. Oh, okay. All right. But it's fun. It is fun. Actually, they had an opening once for a real estate rep. That's what they called their deal makers. And I did not get the job, right? But obviously, things, obviously everything worked out for a reason. But what's interesting is, and my, the question that I have written down in my notes here that I want to ask you is, is this the role that you always wanted? The answer is clearly yes. But what made you want that role? What made you know that you wanted to eventually be the national director of real estate at a McDonald's or the way it worked out for you? As I use strong air quotes, a constellation prize of, of Bole. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably like a lot of people, I would say is that I don't think I had that plan. I think it's, I wasn't that strategic, right? And saying that, oh, I want to be this and and that's what I want to be. I mean, I don't want to belittle that. That's probably the, the advice that most people should get is pick your your aspiration and your goal and and go for it full tilt. I mean, I liked what I was doing. You get to a point where you're like, hey, I want to do more. And when those opportunities arise, you put your name in the hat and sometimes you don't get them the first time, right? And then I like to joke about that's how I got on the basketball court. I had stuck around. Well, then you're also a strikingly fit six foot four guy, right? You're six foot four. As I had to stick around long enough to get on the court, but eventually get on the court. I'm here to squash that rumor. I had the pleasure of having dinner with Mark recently in Orlando. <laughs> For those who don't know him, he's like built like a like a linebacker. He's six foot four. He doesn't have an ounce of fat on, despite the fact he's got a few years on me. So I, I find it hard <laughs> to believe that his, that the only reason why that he got on the court. And his basketball playing days was tied to the fact that he stuck around long enough. 
So I'm calling your bluff there. I appreciate your humility, but it's not accepted here. Perseverance, man. Yeah, that I can always get behind. So we've identified that you're persistent. We've identified that you had some ambitions. You pursued them. You eventually got what you wanted. You've had this massively successful career. And you're six foot four. Two. Two. <laughs> what are your weaknesses and how do you navigate? Man, my weakness, the organization is challenging. So I mean, probably fairly organized, but keeping it all like uh, trying to turn it off, you know, at the appropriate time is a challenge when you're passionate about what you do. Work-life balance, right? I mean, I've got four boys and they're all grown. The youngest is 18 going to college. So I'm almost out of the college payment uh, mode, but not quite. So Mark needs deals is what he's hearing, by the way. Yeah. yeah he so, needs more sites. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, the technology kind of sound like a... I mean, early on, I was really into technology. You know, I was going to GIS world classes in like Fort Collins before it was even a thing, right? And we were like, man, this is how we differentiate ourselves as a brokerage company is, you know, do mapping software and GIS. And now it's very commonplace. And now there's so many things. I mean, you know, you're Mr. Social Media. I mean, you can't find me on social media. It's like, can't do it. So maybe you can change me, Aaron, but I don't know, man. It's uh... Well, I will tell you whether you want to be out there or not, I'm going to do my best to get this one out there because people need to hear your story. And we've been fortunate, you know, look, the limitless thing, we had a very low bar to hit. My goal when we first launched an episode was to impact one person and add value to them. Give them an opportunity to, to learn something or to meet somebody. Well, I mean, here's the thing about this business. I mean, this is a thing that's attractive about this business. I recognized early on and it continues to this day. And you've had some characters on here that are way more interesting and have more interesting stories than I do. But there are some interesting people to me. And I really revel in that. I mean, you meet a lot of cool people, a lot of fun people, a lot of great stories. I love talking to these people. I get to talk to them a little bit less than the, my real estate managers do, right? They're out on the street and more in contact. I do miss that, right? I miss that part of it. I'm sitting kind of back here managing the people, which has its benefits, but I am disconnected from that a bit, right? And, and that's just the nature of what it is. But <laughs> I mean, it's about you. And I'm like, you know, I tell my son, you got to meet this guy, right? You got to connect with Aaron Zucker. Right. This is how you do it. I can tell you need to get out more if that's who, who you're pushing your son to meet. <laughs> and I think I speak for anybody who's certainly within my network. I think if you're yearning to get in front of interesting people, we can certainly facilitate that because you're you're right. This podcast is really only as good as the guests that we have. And I gotta share this with you though. This is a funny quote. And my oldest son was in high school at the time and he was talking to his mother and he said, So dad flies to these really cool cities. And he eats in really nice restaurants and he stays in really nice hotels. And he pauses and he says, I think I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> then I take two of them to ICSC when they're you know, seniors, juniors, seniors in college. And what do I do? I go to the shopping center group party on Sunday. I go to another party on Monday night and I bring them along. And I think they're like, man, this is what he does. This is like, Wow this is cool. And I'm like, yeah, you know, guys, that is the fun part of the business. But after repeating that story, that quote, you know, the story of what my son said, someone in my company that I told the story to said, that's exactly what finance thinks we do, which is pretty funny, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. We make it look fun. I, I mean, I really think we do. And, you know, everybody here that's, you know, listening, I think they can probably identify that. You might as well make it fun, right? You might as well get out and experience the people in the business and different things and have fun along the way. Because, you know, there's a lot of grinding that goes on, right? Yeah, there's no off switch. I mean, as you alluded to before when you were discussing, you know, things that you'd like to improve. So I totally get it. You've been through multiple recessions. You've seen it on the brokerage side. You've seen it on the tenant side, although I'm not sure Chipotle's ever really struggled other than a few PR issues. Tell me what the biggest curveball has been that you've had to hit in your career so far. Well, after the food safety event in 2015, which personally, when it happened in somewhere out West Seattle, I didn't think it was a big deal. My wife, of course, being right most of the time, said, oh, I think it's a huge deal. And the reason it was a huge deal is at this point, the company was pretty big and pretty well known. And it was a comeuppance. And there were a lot of people in the company, myself included, that felt like, man, I don't think anybody, I certainly didn't worry about my position or my job or the company. I mean, the company was on too solid footing to really have a big issue, right? But it was a big hurdle to overcome. And we have since overcome it in flying colors. But, you know, I remember being in Brunswick, Georgia with our real estate manager, Hal Hobgood, around that time, 2016. And shout out to Hal, by the way. He's awesome. Yeah, there you go. Shout out to Hal. And I was just looking around at sites and McDonald's and Wendy's and Chick fil A and you name it. And their drive throughs were just packed. And I'm like, you know what? We're going to have to do this. Okay. And I'm going to stick around until we do this. And it's a lever. Now, we haven't done drive throughs. We do order ahead, pick up window, called a Chipotle, right? So it's not the same. And we have to you know, communicate that a lot. Your menu board is your phone, right? You do it on your phone, you go pick it up at 12 15 or whatever. But I felt like there was something that was there. And fortunately, there was a little bit of internal support for looking at that. And as an example of the way things work in our world, in the world, is one failure that a company might make kind of opens up the door to other things. So we had started this thing called Tasty Made. Our founder wanted to do this burger concept. So he's like, Mark, I want to do this. I want to do it Columbus, Ohio. said, fine. So we found two sites. We opened one. The second one we had signed lease on. We never opened it. The first one didn't make it. And we converted it to Chipotle. Now, this was a building that had a drive-through window on. So I was like, hey, we've got to figure out a way how to use it. It's time. Meanwhile, the original Tasty Made had a drive-through. And our customers were tell- saying to us, when are you guys going to do this at Chipotle? So I think it started hitting home with our company. And we started looking at how do you do it? And we ultimately didn't think we could execute a drive-through the way everyone else does it and came up with this concept. So we just started at that time, the real estate managers were reporting to me across the country. And I just simply said, before this thing was even baked, I said, if you're looking at sites, whether it's a freestanding building or it's an end cap, get the end cap you can circulate. Okay. And if we don't do this thing, which was yet to be determined, at least we'll have a location that it could happen versus being on the end, you couldn't circulate, right? Or up against the property line. So fortunately, we had enough of those in the queue that when we finally decided to roll it out, we were a little bit ahead of the curve. We weren't starting from scratch. So, you know, I just, you know, could feel it. 
And again, I had a couple people that internally that were supportive of the concept until we got it refined to what it is today. So yeah, there's a big blip in the road. Could have gone either way. What's the craziest deal you have ever worked on? Oh, wow. Well, we used to have some early on, we should go back to it, but our attorneys, when we'd get together in uh, Vail for retreats, when we were based in Denver, you know, hey, let's give an award to the most creative deal, the structure, right? One of my good friends had put a property in contract and he was asking for a non-contingent deposit and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm like, well, we don't do that. You know, like when we get our building permit, the deal's 100% done and, you know, we'll pay you rent X days after that or when we open or whatever. But it was some convoluted, like, if this happens and this happens, but this doesn't happen and then we'll give you this money. But one that's a little easier to remember is when you're, you know, this is interesting because in the early days of Chipotle, we had the backing of McDonald's, right? Did not sign the leases, okay? So there's a company that most people signed up for that weren't concerned about getting the rent for some reason, right? But at one point, there was a guy who's at Ohio State's campus. So we have two stores on campus here. The original one, again, 1999 probably, like Chipotle, Chipotle, whatever, how did they pronounce it back then? They didn't know how to pronounce it, right? Well, I don't know if we want to do this deal. And he said, look, if you're worried about getting the rent, we'll pay you, you know, the entire first year's rent lump sum. Now, granted, we did a net present value calculation of that, but it's the same difference. We basically assured them that you're going to get your rent. Here's a check for the entire first year's worth of rent. And that was a, I didn't come up with that idea. The guy that hired me did. You know, there's some sweet and sour deals that you structure. We don't like to do percentage rent deals. So you got a guy telling you that his site's the best thing you've ever seen in your entire life. And you're like, well, look, we like it. We'll do it. But at some point, you use his enthusiasm on his site against him, right? And say, look, tell you what, if we get to this volume within the first five years, we'll pay you more rent, okay? A secondary rent schedule. But it's, we needed help on the front end of the deal is my point, right? Really old building, a lot of conversion costs. We were going to foot the bill. And this was like 2000. So I love the creativity that you can put in place because it's... At the end of the day, it's a little bit of mitigation of risk, which for us, it's like, you know, how much risk is there really? I pride ourselves on, we're not a kick out concept. We don't kick out clauses. If we wake up one morning and have a bad hair day, right? And say we went out of the deal. We like signing up and having the confidence to sign up and do the deal. Well, when you have AVs of, what are they right now? Are you at liberty to share AVs or? We just reported 2.7 million yeah. AUV. And for those who don't know, just in case, average unit volume. So what does an average volume do in sales? 2.7 million. And the average store is about 2,200 square feet. Outstanding yeah, numbers. Yeah, so, about right. so what Mark's basically saying here is, you know, we don't need a right to terminate the lease halfway through or anything because we stand by what we do. And it's predicated based on an unbelievable track record of success. And I think this is the wisdom and the perspective that you offer by getting in with a company as early and having the foresight you did between 15 and 20 stores and playing an integral part to getting out to 3,000 stores is something that is not only impressive, but something that I'm incredibly humbled to to hear and, and be able to provide the platform for that story to get out there. So kudos to you on that. With that massive build up to your greatness being out there. Stop it. 
what advice, and this is, I'm really, I'm actually very excited to ask you this question because I know your son Austin's in the business. He's been in the business just for a short amount of time. So I know you've given this advice before and it's a question that you probably have answered subconsciously a thousand times, but now you get the opportunity to answer it to multiple people who are listening to this. On the record? <laughs> On the record advice. Yeah, the way maybe you speak to Austin may not be the exact same way you speak to everybody else, but hopefully the message is the same. What advice do you have for someone who's either trying to get into the business or who's been doing it for less than five years, or even somebody who's really established that's maybe trying to you know pivot in their career on what they want to do next? Well, I mean, it's like I've said it. I mean, you'd be passionate about it in a real altruistic sense. I mean, you're truly interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. I want to read every book I can about McDonald's and learn about this company. And, you know, it could be any company, right? It could be a person. I mean, we all have relationships that have helped us along the way. Somebody's got to stand out, right? Do something different, do something more than the next person, right? Again, I mean, you got to be sincere about it, right? And, you know, these things will come across with the kind of person you want to align with or the company you want to align with. My connections were just fortunate to be made. But and then if you're asking for, you know, words of wisdom, I mean, that's what I would offer. You know, be pleasant, have, a, have fun on the phone. I mean, you got to talk to people, right? So you've got that. you got a podcast, for God's sake. I mean, you've got that going. You've got networking going. But to me, you don't need a million friends. You just need the right ones, right? This is going to sound corny, but you can't soar with eagles if you're hanging with turkeys. So... I think in brokerage, particularly because of the respect you have to have for your time is learn how to disengage from the time waster, right? The users. And you know, that's the hard part about that business. You know, who's using me for my free information and who's gonna, you know, actually sign up and work with me, right? It's so funny that you're giving this advice because you're basically saying from a Chipotle vantage point. As a broker, you should really want to work with us. Mark, I've got a, some groundbreaking news. Every broker in the country wants to work with Chipotle. Everyone. There isn't a 10 rep broker in the country, unless that they're representing a competitor that they've been with from the beginning, that wouldn't take the assignment of working with you guys. But what's so interesting to me and why it comes so full circle is that it's for the exact reasons that you're so privy to and because you sat in those shoes. It's surety of execution doing what you guys say you're going to do, not having a deal that's too difficult, like a termination right or what have you. And you guys have the backing and track record that is impeccable, especially in this space. And as competitive as the out-parcel space is, you know, Chipotle probably is getting that first phone call or the first right of saying no to a site more times than not. And I think you should be incredibly proud of the fact that you played such a major part of that. And I think it's amazing wisdom. And I think the value of chasing a concept from a philosophical standpoint and then executing on it the way that you have, coupled with the lesson learned of the value of getting in with an organization and having the foresight and seeing its future and getting to the top. I'm hopeful that there's some people out there that are crazy enough to see that with Zig, you know, maybe come work here one day. But the fact that you basically watched 20 to 3,000 happen in not that long of a period of time. Well, you're making it sound like I knew we were going to have 3,000 units someday. <laughs> I think you knew that there was going to be more than 20. Otherwise, you wouldn't have taken the gig. You wouldn't have given up the right to represent McDonald's and, and Chipotle, who was growing and doing deals, and, and other groups all over the Columbus market without really making a bet 
on what the organization was able to provide. And I suspect that bet has more than paid off for yourself many times over. And certainly from a reputational standpoint, it has. Yeah, it's definitely been fun. And the things that you do when you go to the market, I mean, I like traveling to the other cities and looking at the real estate and experiencing the other cities. And like I said, I want to be in your hometown, right? Your hometown's Birmingham, right? No, no. I went to school in Alabama. I live in Charlotte. Live in uh, Charlotte. Yeah, went to school in Alabama. You went to Auburn, right? Yeah, that's not funny. (laughs) No, and in case there's any confusion from the crowd out there, I went to Alabama. I did not go to Auburn. I hate Auburn. Uh, Roll Tide. So another interesting thing that you brought up earlier was you were obsessed with the idea of reading any book that was about McDonald's. Obviously, reading has had an impact on your life and career. What are some of the books or one book in particular that sort of changed your life? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I just I can't read anymore. I can't stay up and read. Like now you want to go to like the book summaries, right? Get to the point, right? You know, the executive book summaries. Tell me what, what you're really trying to learn here. There's lots of great books out there. And it's, I really encourage, I see my son's reading a lot. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to pick up pieces here and there. I mean, there's a, a couple corny books. I mean, one book is probably tied to what we do in our company. And you do in development is silly book. It's called the Checklist Manifesto. It's written by a doctor. It's about everything's checklist. I mean, you go through it, and our deals are like that, and our follow up is like that. Did you ask about the restrictive covenant? First thing, you know, go through the list because that's what's cool about real estate. There's a lot of uniqueness to it, but there's enough similarity to what you do that you can create a checklist to make sure that you're going down the right path, right? So there's that. There's this old book written by a guy named A.O. Williams, which was something like simple that all you can do is all you can do. So think about that for a minute. We stress out about a lot of things in our lives, right? I mean, personally, professionally, et cetera. You know, the title of the book was All You Can Do Is All You Can Do. That just means just do what you can do and let it fall where it falls, right? You know, like you just can't drive yourself crazy trying to do too much. So Sometimes that's advice I've given internally is, look, don't let your eyes be bigger than your tummy. The focus of what we're doing is this. You know, we call it the main thing is the main thing, right? Which is, you know, right now, I mean, my job is to oversee the growth of new restaurants. So, you know, let's not get caught up in things that keep us off that goal. And, you know, robust pipeline is what we're really all about. I mean, the pipeline is the key. How many stores are you guys looking to do under your oversight this year? Let's see. What do we tell the street? We gave them a range. You know, I think last year we opened 215. We gave them a range, I think, of like 240 to 255, something like that. It's typically what you'll see from Chipotle as a range. 2016, we opened 243 restaurants. These are, for some brands, that didn't sound like a lot. For other brands, it sounds like a lot, right? I mean, these are full-scale restaurants. We need you know, a certain amount of power, water, sewer, gas, electric, and, you know, our investment's a little bit higher than a coffee shop, right? So surprisingly, that little building's got a lot going on in it, right? There's a big kitchen. Kitchens have gotten bigger because that's the engine, right? Dining rooms have gotten smaller. People grab it to go, you know, 50% of our business is digital now. So that's been a, been a game changer, which helped us get through the pandemic, obviously. Sure. Okay. So this is the same question that I ask everybody else. Again, I love the uniqueness tied to your story. 
And we've had other people who've had children in the business. You know, we had Ted Frumpkin on earlier this season, whose daughter is a broker down in Orlando. And now we've got you on here. And I love the perspective, especially when factoring in, you know, have the next generation, not just the people that you know, but your own family in the business. One day, which hopefully is not for a very long time, because we love having you in the business, you're going to decide to go live on the lake or the beach or do whatever you decide to do in your free time. And because of the impact that you've had on the industry with your success at Chipotle and whatever else that you decided or have or decided to do in the future, there's going to be a little publication or an article written and talking about you know, the retirement of Marky. When that article comes out, what do you want your legacy to be like in the business? And what do you want that article to say about you? Well, I probably should start thinking about this, right? No, we're not going to let you get too serious about it. That's why I asked the question just to yeah. catch you off by surprise. You know, he did what he said he was going to do. I mean, he was, you know, your reputation's what, you know, there's so much money we can all take with this, right? So you're someone rich or someone poor and someone all, you know, wherever you fit. The, the point is you leave with your, hopefully your head held high and people look back and say, I had fun with him and, and he did what he said he was going to do. And hopefully uh, something like that. Love it. I love it. Mark. As expected and as always, you were wonderful to have on the show. Your wisdom was outstanding. Your story's certainly unique and very inspiring for anybody out there who's trying to have the vision of getting in at the right time with an organization and also making a pivotal switch in their career. If I can leave you with one thing, I just can't thank you enough on behalf of our listeners out there and for adding to our incredible roster of guests that we've had. And thank you so much again. Yep, thank you for having me. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did in fact get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts. 